Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Health Nuts podcast with certified holistic nutrition consultants Mary Vance and Caitlin Weeks. Our goal is to dispel mainstream nutrition myths and bring you the best in holistic health and real food education. So welcome, everybody. And hi, Caitlin. Are you there? Hi, Mary. How are you? Doing good. I'm excited for our special guest today. We have RC from the popular blog Rubies and Radishes. And RZ's a new mom, and she had a paleo pregnancy, and we want to talk to her all about raising babies and having paleo pregnancy and what that was like. And for me personally, since I specialize in women's health, and I, I help women with fertility and nutrition for pregnancy, I'm especially excited to talk to RZ. So hi, RZ, and welcome. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. We're really glad for you to join us today. And we have some great questions that we got from readers and just looking forward to chatting with you about being a new mom and having a paleo pregnancy. So we're glad you could join us. Awesome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So I will read our standard disclaimer here and then we'll have our announcements and get started. So just to uh, get the legal stuff out of the way. The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast has provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice or services. Instead, we encourage you to discuss your concerns with a licensed healthcare provider. Caitlin Weeks and Mary Vance assume no liability for any of your activities in connection with this podcast. So just a reminder, you can find Caitlin at grassfedgirl.com, and you can find me online at maryvancenc, like nutritionconsultant.com. And so what's new with you, Caitlin? What's going on? I have been um, working on everything as usual, my blog and my book, and I'm getting closer and closer. I know it seems like forever, but... I'm getting there day by day, so it should be a few more weeks, and, you know, once you get to this point, you have to deal with the designer and proofreading, proofreaders and all this, so you're kind of at the mercy of other people to help you. Um, so I'm getting there, but I wrote a good blog post about how to dry and grind fresh herbs, and then yesterday I put up one about uh, Italian wedding soup. That's really... Uh, people like the picture so they convinced me to write it up as a recipe and that's similar to a lot of the recipes you'll find in our in our book Mediterranean Paleo Cooking so if you want to be on the list just go to my website Mediterranean Paleo Cooking um, and you will see all about my my book is on the front page there so you can sign up for the updates yes and Caitlin and her chef husband were kind enough to have my boyfriend and me over for dinner to sample some of the stuff from the book and it was very delicious and awesome experience so I know everyone's looking forward to the book coming out and really beautiful photographs too. Thank you. So speaking of books, uh, my ebook is also on my website maryvancenc.com and it's a 21 day holistic detox program and it's all whole foods and it can help you jumpstart weight loss or just do a simple cleanse or break sugar and carb cravings so check it out and there's a free bonus guide that comes with the book and it's tons of resources and meal plans and recipes and guidelines and lots of 
nutrition education. So that's been selling well, and I'm excited for that. And I am also doing a giveaway, my very first kitchen gadget giveaway. It's a Cuisinart mini prep food processor. So I asked my Facebook fans to vote on the gadget that they wanted, and that one won. It was close tie between that and the immersion blender, but... Um, <laughs> But this is, my uh, giveaway is going on until August 19th, so the details are on my website and also updates on my Facebook page, which is Mary Vance Nutrition. You can find me on Facebook there. So that's all my exciting news, except for that it's my birthday today, so I'm excited about that too. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Did you do anything exciting for your birthday? Uh, I have many surprises coming my way, and I'm not sure about... I know one of them involves wearing fancy clothes somewhere tonight, so... Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so there's that, and then there's something tomorrow happening, and I had some friends get together on Saturday. That was a surprise. So, so far, it's been super fun. Have you, did you, you didn't go out of town? No, I have not gone out of town anywhere. I was going to, but I ended up staying here because there was... Uh, a lot of activity going on, so that's exciting. But I'm really psyched because today's the first sunny day in San Francisco, I think, for like in my neighborhood for three to four weeks. So <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. go outside. It was warm when I went on my exciting trip to the Comcast place. <laughs> oh gosh, that's a recipe for a really depressing day. <laughs> well, you gotta beat the crowds. Um, I forgot to say I did have a giveaway too. Of I'm giving away the digestive health book by Alage, the paleo dietitian, as well as another book by the uh, Primal Palette Food Lovers. Oh, cool! The 30 Day Guide to Paleo. So some lucky winner will get both of those books for their collection. It's the Jumpstart Health giveaway on my blog. Awesome. So, um, now let's talk about what we had for breakfast really quick. What did you have, Mary? Well, I had a special a birthday brunch. We actually went out to Eats, which is this really cool little eatery in my neighborhood. And I had a their um, detox juice blend, which is carrot, green apple, beet, and ginger. So I had that. And then I had a pulled pork hash with, uh, sweet potato and onion and so that was really delicious and I did have a bite of my boyfriend's um, strawberry pancakes which of course as everybody knows no one eats gluten around these parts so that was my exciting birthday splurge as I had a bite of pancake <laughs> oh my gosh you're gonna have leaky gut for the rest of your life now <laughs> I know the gluten gods are gonna smite me <laughs> how dare you um, I we want you to answer to RC Go ahead. And what did you have? RC. Oh, sorry. Hold on. I'm <laughs> sorry. I was on mute. Um, I actually just had some broth this morning. I woke up kind of late. The baby actually slept in. So I usually make um, eggs for breakfast every morning, but I didn't get to it this morning. So I just had a cup of broth. Did you eat anything later? Um, I did. Yeah. I had some butternut squash soup and some chicken. Yum. See, dinner for breakfast. Yeah, I had some green beans with some coconut oil melted over them and some leftover chicken from last night. So, yes, 
We don't. Well, if you were reading my Facebook page yesterday, the way to identify your band name is the color of the pants you're wearing plus the last food that you ate. And there I had some very good responses to what everybody's band name was. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so let's talk about nutrition for babies and pregnancy and... Um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, RC and introduce her, and then we'll get started on all of our fun questions? Great. So, RC is an author of the Paleo Slow Cooker, which is a really popular book with great pictures. It's beautiful uh, hardcover that came out re- about what six months ago or something. Yeah, that's she right. She has also been. Um, I heard her on the Balanced Bites podcast before, and she has a popular blog, The Rubies and Radishes. She recently uh, became a full-time author and blogger, so she quit her tech job, and she's living the dream now. She had a baby. <laughs> what? How old is your baby now, R.C.? She just turned one. Yeah, I see the wow. pictures on Facebook. She's so beautiful. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And, um... She lives on in Santa Cruz, kind of the edge. I don't know if that's still the Bay Area, but it is to people who are far away. So um, it sounds so nice and mellow down there. I'm so jealous uh, and warm. It sounds warmer to me. And <laughs> It's actually usually a pretty, it's pretty cold. It's kind of like San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty much about the same. We go down there a lot, but it's really beautiful. Um, anything you want to tell us any more uh, Anything I'm leaving out, R.C.? Is that a- no, I think you got me all covered. <laughs> okay. So, um, so, Mary, you want to start with the first question? Sure. Um, so, I'd, we'd love to just hear some background from you, R.C., if you want to let us know, you know, kind of what led you into your paleo journey and, and how you decided to have a paleo pregnancy. Sure. Um, well, I started following the paleo diet back in 2008. I had just started CrossFit, and that was at the time when CrossFit was starting to switch over from the zone diet to the paleo diet. And um, I hadn't actually given much thought to that stuff. You know, I had actually been a vegetarian for like 10 years and had, and at that point I had pretty poor health. I had like chronic headaches, and I'd gone to so many doctors, and none of them were attributing it to my poor diet. Um, so... For the last couple of years, I had been eating meat, but still a lot of just other other foods that were not um, sitting well with me. So when I started CrossFit, I just wanted to get healthy and get in shape, and they were doing the paleo diet at my gym, so I decided to give it a try, and then um, immediately my headaches just, I mean, they went away. I had actually more than headaches. I had a really bad foggy-headedness. I would have that constantly. So um, so that sold me immediately, and then I picked up Dr. Cordain's book, and that, that was, I think at the time, was maybe the only book available, um, and it just all clicked and made sense, so I started eating that way um, ever since. So by the time I got pregnant, um, it, I didn't even think about having a different kind of pregnancy because I'd already been following a paleo diet, I think, for more than three years. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I think another big thing for preparing for my pregnancy was beyond my diet was taking care of any um, underlying nutrient deficiencies that I had been dealing with that my diet alone wasn't fixing. So once you resolve those and, you know, when you made a birth plan, tell us kind of a little bit more about your birth story, too. 
Sure. I'll j- give you guys a short version because my birth story ended up being um, quite a bit complicated, but yeah. I had planned for a natural birth and um, I wasn't doing a home birth. We have a birthing center in Santa Cruz. It's very baby friendly. So I was um, planning on having a natural birth at the birthing center. I had an awesome doctor. She was an OB, but she is ha- or she is an OB, but she has had um, four home births herself. And she's known in this county for really changing, um, just changing just the whole way births are done around here and making Santa Cruz much more baby friendly. So she was an awesome doctor. So it was really, I mean, it was going really, it was going really well. My pregnancy was like, ideal. Like it was such an easy pregnancy. I felt good throughout. Um, and yeah, so I was planning on having a natural birth at the birthing center and um, my water broke 10 days early. Um, 10 days before my due date. So, you know, in movies, you see the water breaking and then birth starts. That's not really, that's not really how it goes. And that's actually <laughs> not an ideal way to start your birth by having your water break. Because oh. um, often what that actually happens is it's often when your water breaks and labor doesn't start, it, complications happen, especially in a hospital because the water's the barrier between the baby and the outside world. And especially in a medical setting, they're like very pushy to move things along. But, um, but yeah, it was really, so I went in to get checked. Um, and, um, and you know, this is where my story might've gone different if I'd actually planned a home birth, because I did talk to some midwives at that time that did home births. Um, cause I mean, I was really upset when that happened cause I had really, really wanted natural labor. And, you know, I was thinking of switching to home birth at the last minute. And what I did learn is midwives will let you go much longer if your water breaks prematurely because, um, they won't check you. And the checking is what actually ends up causing problems is, you know, when you're getting checked, that's how bacteria gets. um, Uh. Yeah. So, so, but I, at the time, you know, I wasn't aware of that. And so I went in, I got checked by the midwife at my doctor's office. So, so most doctors would actually rush you to the hospital and want you to start getting induced within a few hours. But since she's a huge proponent of natural labor, she told me to go home for 24 hours. She gave me things to do to start labor. And, um, so, you know, I tried everything. It had been 24 hours. Labor hadn't started. I was very upset. She wanted me to come to the birthing center. So I begged her for more time. She gave me more time. It didn't start. So I met her at the birthing center. And then what she told me is actually there's two sacks of water. And often they break together, but sometimes they don't. Hmm. So she broke the second sack. And then labor did start. So I was able to, so I was not laboring naturally for about 12 hours, but other things went wrong at the hospital. Even though I did have some really great nurses, she did pair me with nurses that all had home births themselves. But it just things happen, and some things are very subjective in the labor process. And you know, the nurse that checked me thought I was further along than I was, so my doula let me do things that um, that you shouldn't do until you're further along in labor, which actually ended up slowing down my labor. So, so it kind of things like that go wrong, which then ended up I was laboring um and I was laboring with my water or my water had been now broken for like 50 something hours so then and I'd been in the now I'd been in the birthing center and not at home where talking to midwives it's much better to be at home with your water broken because that's you know that you're um familiar bacteria you're not getting checked so you're not um you're not putting the baby out you're putting the baby less at risk when you're at home so, yeah, so then that's what happened. And so then, you know, my doctor um, then just ended up needing to get induced. And I actually, looking back, I feel fine about the decision. And I think this is where 
it gets difficult for people because I think often in a hospital setting, you get pressured to do things that you later on when you look back, you feel like aren't the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. So, but my doctor was really awesome. You know, she really laid it out and she told me that I don't have to do anything she tells me to do. But I think what actually happened is my my water, I don't think I would have gone into labor anytime soon. And, um, and because of the things that happened in the hospital, my labor really slowed down. So I ended up having to get induced and that was really, really emotionally and physically difficult for me. So hopefully next time around, it won't go that way. And I definitely plan to have a home birth, um, for the next baby. So even with a good doctor and, um, good nurses, I felt like some of the things maybe could have been avoided with a home birth and, um, yeah, and you know, my water breaking prematurely, that really caught me off guard because I had such an easy, healthy pregnancy. And I wonder if that had to do with my level of stress, because that's actually when I was working on my cookbook and working full time. So even though my oh, nutrition wow. Yeah, so it was really hectic, crazy time for me. So even though my nutrition was you know, was pretty perfect and I felt really good, that's just the stress element. I wonder if that um, impacted things not going so well for me at the end there. Wow. Um, so I was wondering, did, like after the baby was born, was there any, any, any decisions that you made at the hospital that would help other women? You know, what was your opinion about some decisions like right after the birth? You know, I mean, I think is where we were, we were, Sutter and Santa Cruz is incredibly baby friendly. So everything was, after we had her, everything was really easy. She was like with us immediately. They never took her out of the room. And, but just the things, and you know, we had our birth plan. We had our doula. I think it was, I think having a doula, if you're having a baby at a hospital or at a birthing center is really important because at that moment, you just have so much going on and you know that you have your birth plan and but there's all this stuff going on around you and nurses going in and out of the room and that doula is such a key person that makes sure your things are staying on track and your baby's not getting a hep B shot without your knowledge and things like that so you know we opted out of all of the vaccines given at the hospital um so just you know but we just made sure doula just made sure she was clear about that so nothing you know so nobody made any mistakes so i it's think like that's having a, a lawyer right <laughs> yeah, well that's how i feel i feel like yes yeah, like having a lawyer with you you know and then and then it kind of gives you a chance to just relax and oh, enjoy so the baby familiar yeah they they know all they probably know all the people there and everything yeah, they do. Yeah, because they're they're in the hospital so much, especially in a small place like this. There's actually only two places to have babies. So, yeah. So, so I yeah, I was gonna ask about the you know they give the babies a vitamin K shot, I think it is, and, and a Hep B shot immediately at birth. And I think a lot of women go into that maybe not even they're not even aware. Or they take their doctor's word for it, but I think that's just kind of an antiquated practice. So you opted out of that. Yes. Yeah, we opted out of everything. And, and you know, and it's hard because even like, let's say it's a vitamin K, there's actually some pressure because the, the doctors, the pediatricians on staff, be like, well, it's just a vitamin K shot, you know, and, um, but the hep B, I mean, in Santa Cruz, I think it's very common to opt out of that. There was like no question. Oh, good. So. Well, I'm curious too, you know, let's get into kind of the nutrition aspect as well, but Tell us kind of, you know, when you're in your pregnancy and researching a little bit about kind of the nutrition path that you were going to take, tell us a little bit more about the resources that you drew from and what your plan was for how you wanted to bring up your baby in terms of nutrition. Okay, well, um, you know, I started out, you know, I think actually the baby nutrition, I didn't really get, exp I mean, I knew I would 
feed her, you know, grain free and everything. But the really like the nutrient dense food for babies, I didn't actually get familiar with those until I was pregnant. And I first heard about them through Chris Cresser's Healthy Baby Code. And then um, from there, I started reading up on it on the Weston A. Price Foundation site. And then um, I got this awesome book that actually came out while I was pregnant, and it's called uh, Super Nutrition for Babies. And it's a Weston A. Price focused book, but since Weston A. Price, um, with babies, since they don't recommend grains until, you know, they're about two years old, the book is pretty much paleo with all their food recommendations with maybe Mm -hmm. with some dairy in there. But yeah, so this book came out and it's so such an awesome resource. I still use it at least every week. So it takes you month by month about which are good foods to introduce at what times. So we ended who's who's the author or is it just from the organization? No, the author's um, Kelly Gelsinger. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's fantastic book. I like get it for all my friends and, and it's so easy to follow that I've actually found that, um, you know, new moms are really eager to feed their babies well. So even ones that don't eat this way, like they get that book. And I actually know a few moms that are following that book, even though they eat a pretty um, standard diet. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I started kind of researching those first foods and um, while I was pregnant. And then so, of course, being a foodie, I was, I was just really excited about when I could introduce foods to her. So and she's, she's an awesome eater. She eats all kinds of stuff. She eats liver and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. She, liver is like one of her favorite foods. She eats liver at least um, three times a week. So she eats liver. She eats bone marrow. She eats, um, yeah, I mean, egg yolks, um, fish roe. She loves fish roe. She loves cod liver oil. She asks for more. I mean, I gag when I take liquid cod liver oil, but <laughs> she, like, loves it. She'll eat as much as you let her, so. She's got good, good instincts. Yeah. I almost so- think that children really learn by modeling i mean even if we say oh this is this is this is healthy you know but if you turn your head and gag and or you know they don't see you eat it like you know my dad he made me eat everything under the sun i mean not all healthy stuff but he was always just like you try it and he he tried it too so i was like okay you know now i have very adventurous taste and so when i got into real food it was like Okay, I'll eat liver. I don't care. Yeah, that's awesome. And I completely agree. And I think that when introducing foods to babies, it's really important to not to not give an opinion, to not say, oh, you didn't like that. Or, you know, I just, there's certain things like actually sauerkraut, she didn't take to right away. But I just kept like a few times a week just putting it on her plate with her breakfast. And recently she got really into it and she ate it all first and wanted more. So I think a lot of things are acquired taste for kids. So I think if we just keep our opinions neutral and just keep offering the food, they really start to open up to it more. Yeah. And they don't know what's breakfast food and what's not unless we tell them, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, like you're saying, they just learn from watching us and how we eat. Yeah, I don't take my cod liver oil around her because it's just, it's, <laughs> I mean, I take the pills mostly, but if I run out and have to take her liquid. <laughs> well, I've read that there is some evidence that children can't necessarily metabolize or absorb certain vitamins, like especially beta carotene. And that's a lot of the reason why they're not so attracted to vegetables at an early age, but more kind of like proteins and good fat. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, and they also don't um they also don't um, make the enzyme they don't make enough of the enzyme amylase to break down carbohydrates and grains. So I think that's another reason why they're attracted to kind of the more fatty protein foods because they don't digest the other foods as well. 
And you know, and my daughter actually likes vegetables, but I drew, I mean, I put as much butter on them as that they'll hold. And I think that's probably why she likes them. And I think it's, they, I mean, they need the fat to be able to absorb a lot of the vitamins. I think a lot of babies don't like vegetables because they'll see, you know, they'll be just plain broccoli on their plate, you know, but I mean, I really actually do fill her up on fat and some protein and then some vegetables. Well, what's so heartbreaking to me is I, you know, there's still so much misinformation about what to feed baby in terms of first food. And I see a lot of mothers just defaulting to like fruit and dried fruit and fruit snacks and a lot of sugar based things because they think they shouldn't be feeding their baby fat or their baby can't digest fats or proteins or they don't think that, you know, more quote sophisticated foods have a place in baby's diet. But what do you think about that? I mean, I think it's really sad. Like, I, it's just, you know, it's re- it's really hard for me to see parents um, feeding babies poorly. And I know, you know, parents they are trying to do their best, and it's just really a lot of misinformation. Because I found that's one time when when people when you educate people, they're willing to make a change. They might not change for themselves, but when it's for their young ones. But you know that they're. I've had my 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 friends, my close friends, have recently had babies too, and you know they'll call me and say the pediatrician said I could start doing rice cereal. Should I do that? And also I'm like, no, you shouldn't do that. You should do this, this, and this. And they will actually go do it. And um, you know, and I wrote a blog post about first foods. So I'll send that to them, and they all tend to follow it. But yeah, but I think it's it's really unfortunate because you know the babies they they trust us to nourish them. You know, they, you know they don't know they trust the adults around them to take care of them and nourish them and. It's really sad that as a culture, I think we're failing them in a lot of ways. So did you um, also breastfeed? I did, yeah. I'm still breastfeeding. Oh, awesome. After yeah. a year, that's great. Mm-hmm, yeah. Did you have any issues like getting started or? Yeah, you know, I actually did have some difficulties and that is uh, one place lactation nurses were really helpful. We just had, you know, my, since my daughter was born 10 days early, her mouth was a little small, so she wasn't latching that easily. So, so we had some trouble in the beginning. We saw some lactation nurses a lot that first week and um, that just really, really helped. Because I think the other issue is that in our culture, we actually don't see a lot of other women breastfeeding. Um, so we're not around it a lot. So when we go to do it, we don't actually know how to do it. You know, for some people, it might just work right away. But in you know, a lot of traditional cultures, they see the women around them breastfeeding all the time. So by the time women have their own babies, they know exactly what to do. They know how to position them. They know how to help them latch that they probably just instinctively know because they've seen it. So I think um, I think a lot of women do have do run into difficulties when they first bring baby home or when they first have the baby. So I think that's actually a great place to um, not hesitate to call lactation nurse the second you feel like you're having any trouble or any pain. So they have lactation nurses at the hospital? Yeah, all the hospitals have them. You know, Sutter, with the uh, birthing center has them. There's even... You know, just in different. I don't know if all hospitals have them since we have baby-friendly hospitals here. But um, is that is that a real thing? Like, I mean, that's a term, or is yeah, that's a term. Yeah, it's really hard to get um, baby-friendly certified. You have to meet all this. Oh, so it's a real thing. Okay. Yeah, real thing. So it's really yeah. It's like the hospitals where they do everything like skin to skin. Um, They you know that they keep baby in the room with you even if there's complications like they won't take baby out unless it's like very serious um and um yeah so but if not you could even google it i know that there's oh and then there's la leche leagues so that's all right yeah yeah so if you google that you should be able to find lactation consultants in your area 
when I was little, my stepmom, my sister was born when I was seven, so she would take me to those meetings. Oh. <laughs> I would have to sit there, like, in the corner while they all, like, breastfed and talked to each other. <laughs> I was like, but I knew, like, it was good, you know? Yeah. So it was good to see that. Um, but, you know, they were all kind of hippies and stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But I wanted to ask RZ as well, what would your advice be? You know, for women who've tried maybe natural therapies, um, or, you know, I've, I've heard fenugreek can be useful in other natural therapies, and they need to resort to some kind of formula, what what would your recommendation be? Um, yeah, you know, I think even, yeah, there's just some, sometimes there is just issues of low supply, even when people are eating well and taking supplemental support. And I think the best solution is the homemade formula from the Weston A. Price Foundation, because yeah, there's just, them. what was that? I said, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's the, I mean, if, if that, if I had that issue, if I had any issues nursing, I mean, that's the only thing I would feel comfortable giving my daughter. Um, I mean, there's just no store-bought formula that I think is healthy for babies. They're super processed. A lot of them have GMO soy, and they're just, they're not nourishing. They have a lot of sugar. I mean, if you read the ingredients labels, they're, even the organic brands are really, they're, they're just not healthy, but that. West, but I've read up on the Weston A. Price Foundation's um, homemade formula, and it's a very complex formula. You know, it takes in consideration a lot of different things. Um, you know, you add probiotics, and you add fish oil, you add a lot of different components. So the recipe list looks long, but I've heard from moms that have done it that after you do it a few times, it's really helpful. I mean, it's really easy to do. And I think next time around, you know, I actually didn't learn about, about that until my daughter was a couple months old. And, um, I think next time around, I would even have the stuff on hand just in case there was an emergency or something. Well, then the, it, there's a raw milk issue. I think uh, there's still education needs to happen around that. I think does it, it has egg yolks and raw milk in it, right? I think so. Yeah. And then, and there is actually a liver broth based one and for the scenarios, cause you know, um, there is definitely some babies that don't tolerate milk, not even raw milk. So uh, there's actually a liver and broth-based one, too, for um, a non-dairy version. Oh, cool. So I was wondering what um, – well, I also want to say and people can find that recipe on the website, right, on the westonaprice.org? Yes. Okay. Yeah, if they just Google, I think, Weston A. Price homemade formula, it comes up pretty easily. And there's a bunch of, and there's a bunch of articles written on it about why it's healthy and all that. It's definitely a good option for people who are, have trouble. Now, um, I wanted to know, what were some key foods and things that you did through your pregnancy and while nursing? Is some, some key foods that were important in your diet and... Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about f um, folate and the prenatal vitamins. And what what's your opinion also on that? So it's a part B. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I'll first talk about my pregnancy diet. You know, I think the pregnancy diet and the fertility diet look very similar. And I think more important than, well, I don't know about more important, actually. But I think just as important as your diet while you're pregnant is your diet preparing for pregnancy. Because, you know, a lot of development happens for the baby those first few weeks even. And you so, may not know you're pregnant, right? Yes, exactly. So I think it's really important to eat a nutrient-dense pregnancy fertility diet at least, I mean, as early as you can before you get pregnant, you know. But, um, and what were uh, some of the key foods, you think? 
Yeah, so I think so. So the foods I focused on, or when I focused on foods with fat soluble vitamins, vitamin A, D, and K. So I did. Um, I mean, I did drink raw milk, but I tolerated that. And I know that, you know, not everyone actually tolerates raw milk. But I think for people that do tolerate raw milk, that has a lot of nutrients to offer. So I did raw milk. I did a lot of um, pastured egg yolks. Um, not pasteurized, but pasture-raised egg yolks. Right. Um, and then I did, you know, a lot of grass-fed meats, cod liver oil, um, liver, you know. But I grew up eating liver, so that wasn't very difficult for me. So, um so I started, you know, I always ate liver, but I just started being more strict about eating liver when before I got pregnant, about making sure I eat it once or twice a week. Um, and, you know, for people that really have a really hard time with liver, you know, they could try the desiccated liver capsules or even flash free, cut up liver and flash freeze it. So it's into little raw pills and swallow a couple of those or, you know, there's other techniques or hide it in ground beef. But I think it's really has really important nutrients to offer um, that you can't get from many other foods that um, is really important to include yeah, before like pregnancy. People, when people talk about liver, it seems like they're remembering, you know, f- bad memories from childhood. And I think if people don't know that grass-fed beef or lamb or uh, even pastured chicken liver, it's really not as strong as maybe their memory um, when animals are raised right, I think it's much milder and more tender, and I think it's easier to get it down. But you know, I like it, so maybe I'm just biased. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Though I think it is much more mild from um, healthy animals. Well, there, it, I think a lot of women have food aversions, and they may love liver when they're not pregnant and have a problem with it when they are. And we can talk about that in a bit, but. I've also worked with women and, you know, I've recommended they take fermented cod liver oil and liver during pregnancy and they've had their doctors absolutely freak out and say, you know, there's a risk of too much vitamin A and birth defects and, you know, we, we can try to direct people to sources that debunk that, but there's just so much, you know, bad information about cod. That's talking about an isolated form. They don't even understand that this is a a food-based form. Yeah, that's true for sure. But I've had to to uh, do a lot of work to debunk that belief system. Just you know, because the vitamin A is implicated in too much vitamin A is implicated in birth defects. But yeah, the important point is that it's typically from synthetics and not from natural food forms. Obviously, yeah, with co- yeah. cofactors. And Chris Masterjohn was on the Balanced Bites podcast talking about vitamin synergies, and I thought that or nutrient synergies. And I thought that was really interesting because you know, with vitamin A should be taken with vitamin D. So when you're eating these whole foods on in nature, they usually tend to contain both. Yeah, exactly. But the amount of vitamin A you would, I mean, the vi- amount of liver you would have to eat is like I can't remember how much, but it's like five pounds or something. Something that no would never happen, like in normal life so. right <laughs> and if in those prenatals you know those have synthetic vitamin a in them but it's interesting yeah because the cod liver oil and liver both have balanced a and d both because as you said you know in in nature that's the the perfect package to get what you need right right oh and yeah and your question about the prenatals and the problem with the prenatals is you know everybody takes them and the vitamins are all in really poor forms you know they're not 
in the healthy, you know, the, instead of folate, it has folic acid. And there's just so many, it's the wrong form of B12. Like if you read the backs, they're, they're just, they're in the, you know, they're not in the purest, healthiest forms that our bodies could absorb, you know, and I think there's a couple brands that are not actually prenatals that are multivitamins that are, that I've heard Chris Kresser talk about that are in proper forms. But for the most part, the pre, the prenatal vitamins you get at the store are not healthy. And I think you're much better off getting your nutrients from food. Or they're genetically modified too. A lot yes. of them have genetically modified ingredients. They have fillers and the what I I want to know, uh, RC. A lot of things I've heard from other women. You know, I haven't. Neither Mia or Mary has had a baby. I think I'm more in the baby way than Mary um, <laughs> coming up, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, but you know, we're definitely very, very interested in this, but I always hear people say, Oh, this food, I only wanted carbs when I was pregnant and I only wanted sweets and I just couldn't get protein in my stomach and everything made me feel sick. And, and, um, did that happen to you or, you know, what, what are some strategies for people who, who that's, who they feel like that? Okay, actually that, so it didn't happen to me, luckily, I didn't have any, the only food aversion I had is I really didn't like chicken, which was fine because I just ate other proteins, but I didn't have a lot of food aversions, and I didn't have a lot of nausea, so um, I didn't have a lot of issues with that, but I but I think preparing for, for pregnancy and eating really well and making sure that, you know, you have no nutrient deficiencies before you go into pregnancy, because as I was mentioning earlier, I'd actually been following a paleo diet for a couple of years, and I still wasn't, I knew I could feel better, and that's when I started working with um, Chris Kresser, and I found a lot of underlying deficiencies. I actually had severe B12 anemia, um, even though I'd been eating meat, I wasn't absorbing it, um, you know, I had a low-performing thyroid, um, so I had uh, several issues like that, where even if we're eating well, we might have some underlying deficiencies, so I think before you get pregnant, just, you know, having really thorough blood work done and making sure that you don't have any issues and all your nutrient levels are, you know, up to par. I think that probably helps with, um, not feeling as nauseous and, and all that. Um, and there was definitely actually, even if my first trimester, I didn't want a lot of protein. And I think if you've ate well up to the point of getting pregnant, I think you should trust your body. And I think your body knows best if, unless you had a really poor diet, then I think your body's all out of whack and it probably yeah. doesn't really know that well what you need. But if you've been eating really well, I think you should trust your body in my first trimester. It's not that I didn't want any protein. I just was not wanting a lot of protein. So I was actually eating more carbs and fat. I think the fat is one of the most important things. And I've never heard any pregnant person not want fat. So I think, <laughs> yeah, so I think the fat is really, really important while you're pregnant. And so I just focused on getting more carbs and fat, I mean, more fat every day and some carbs and some protein in the beginning. But by the time I got to my second trimester, I was eating pretty normal again, just like I was before. Um, and then you always hear about women craving ice cream when they're pregnant. I hear this all the time. I mean, I hear this from friends. I just wanted so much ice cream. And I've never read a study on this or anything, but I always wonder if they're just craving fat because they're, you know, everybody is so... We have such a fat phobic culture and then people get pregnant. I think their bodies get a little more in tuned. And I wonder if that's just what they associate with fat is ice cream. Cause a lot of, a lot of women I've heard say they crave ice cream while they're pregnant. Yeah. It's probably a saturated fat deficiency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, with the morning sickness issue, a lot of that is also a blood sugar issue that can be resolved. I 
think just from eating more regularly and mm-hmm. paying close attention to eating every few hours and keeping stable blood sugar and like you mentioned in- introducing healthy fats I mean those are crucial for fetal brain development too yeah yeah and that's actually I denied that test too to do the glucose test at the doctor's office oh yeah <laughs> yeah so that was you know I don't think even like anybody had ever done that before but she was really cool about it she like understood I ate really well already and she just let me track my blood sugar for a week and I was like well why can't you do this with everybody like people would so much better understand how their body's reacting I think we just don't trust people with their own health Oh, yeah, that's a really poignant view. And you're right, because you have to drink the solution that can just send your blood sugar haywire whether or not you have blood sugar issues. Yeah, and it's like, and it's like, and I, yeah, and God, really, God knows what is in that solution. I mean, I'm actually not sure what's in it, but I remember reading this GMO corn, and it's like really like what you want to give pregnant women. Yeah, I know, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Let's talk about dairy for children because I think the common rule of thumb is immediately you, you know, see kids walking around drinking milk. Um, What do you think about and what is your opinion of children and dairy products? So, um, you know, I actually, okay, so up until this point, I actually had introduced dairy to my daughter. She's still nursing, so she's getting plenty of breast milk and nutrients from there so she was just eating you know she was eating nutrient dense paleo food so I actually just started giving her some raw um goat cheese and um so I think that for people that could I think I know dairy is kind of could be a controversial subject but I think that for people that could tolerate it it does have nutrients to offer but I don't think all this pasteurized milk that you just see kids chugging all day long is the right solution or is even the healthy solution. So I think that, you know, kids do need a lot of fat for their brain development and dairy does offer that, but I think only very high quality dairy. And I think, you know, and it's, and in in, in addition to the other healthy foods they're eating, you know, the proteins and the other healthy animal fats. So, um, so I'm not against dairy for children, but I'm against poor quality dairy, um, and a ton of it, you know, so you just see kids just drinking milk all day long, you know, so, and, you know, and my daughter, could she, I'll give her raw milk down the line when she's not nursing and she, but not like, you know, just like a glass here and there. But yeah, so I'm giving her some raw cheese now and I'm about to start making some raw milk yogurt just, you know, just for her to have as a snack here and there. I wonder, I grew up always having, um, no, nose and nose running and ear infections yeah and I just wonder I mean of course I know now that it surely was dairy and even my stepmom has said like I think that you were allergic to dairy (laughs) and uh but I wonder if there would have been a difference if I had had raw milk grass-fed milk um in at that time because I think it's just a totally different product (laughs) well the I think you know a lot of new moms may not recognize the signs that babies have dairy allergies and it can be to actual dairy or even they don't talk about breast milk sometimes very well but colicky and a lot of the sinus issues and you know a lot of that can be traced back to uh, inability to digest dairy. But it's also uh, what the mom, they're allergic to what the mom is eating right RC? Yeah. yeah, that's actually a really good point because I wanted to mention through my pregnancy, I actually did eat a lot of dairy um, and I ate a lot of, I mean, I ate like grass-fed and raw cheese. I was just craving fat. I was craving a lot of fat and 
And I, yeah, I was craving dairy while I was pregnant. And then I started to eat it after I first had Indiana and it was not sitting well with her. So I actually stopped dairy, even raw milk until very recently. And as she got older and her digestion developed, and then I tried it here and there to see how she would tolerate it. So yeah, dairy gets through the breast milk and a lot of babies, most babies don't tolerate it well. And, um, yeah, so she got like a little bit of rashy and stuff when I was first nursing her. And then as soon as I stopped the dairy, it went away. And unfortunately, when you, you know, I went to some breastfeeding support groups and, and, and it's a cool environment to go meet other new moms that are nursing. But unfortunately, when you bring that stuff up to the lactation nurses, um, they're just taught that diet doesn't matter. And they'll say, oh, you know, it could be, but, you know, we don't really know. And I just think that's really poor advice to give new nursing moms because um, I think, you know, a lot of moms are there complaining about their babies being colicky or crying a lot and dietary changes. Right, right. Yeah, yes. eczema. Oh. I've, I've yes. seen a lot of babies' eczema clear up when the mothers quit dairy or eggs or wheat. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so again, that's the other interesting thing. So so my daughter just got a little rash on her cheeks like for a couple days and I quit dairy and it went away and she's never had a diaper rash or anything. Like I go to my, we'd go to her wellness baby checkups and the doctor would say, oh, like, does she have any rashes? That's totally normal. And I was like, no, she's never had a rash. Like, and it's so, which I think, you know, she never had diaper rash or anything. And I think that has very much to do with diet too. Um, I was wondering, you know, a lot of us kind of got our feelings hurt um, because we're pretty into the Weston A. Price Foundation. And, um, you know, I know I was at the conference and, last fall and I don't know did you get to go at all? No because I just had Indiana I okay. really wanted to go since it was local but well I was just wondering you know did you get to read any of that um, stuff about what Sally Fallon was saying what was your opinion? Yeah you know I read the rebuttal from um, the paleo mom and so I thought, you know, that was a good summary because it showed both sides. Um, I mean, I just thought it was, I just think it was outdated. I think it's what the paleo diet used to be. But I think, you know, and, and actually, you know, not everyone that follows the paleo diet because it's actually a lot of people are learning about it now are doing it the way that we're all talking about right now. But I think the voices in the paleo community really promote that marriage between paleo and Weston A. Price principles. So, and I think that's what's important because those are the people educating others. So, yeah, so, so I thought, I thought, I thought that was kind of a bummer because I thought she's kind of missing how much the paleo movement has evolved. Yeah. And how much, uh, she's just really out of, out of date. It seems like with what's really happening with the, the leaders of the movement and everything. So I hope she learns some new she gets some new information and, and changes her opinion a little bit. Yeah. So Mary, what are you, what's next? So I did have a, a couple of reader questions I wanted to uh, address. And one was, um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about cereal and rice for baby, but transitioning from breast milk to real food, RZ, what have you heard or how would you mitigate any kind of constipation issues for baby? Um, you mean with real foods? Yeah, or? as they're moving on to real foods. I've had a lot of questions from women saying that either they've experienced that when they're kind of transitioning off breast milk from their babies or just I think a lot of them though are introducing rice cereal and that's what's causing it so I'm not sure. Yeah, I was going to say because I honestly never had any digestion problems with my daughter. 
Um, and you know, we went slowly, I think, you know, and we didn't obviously did, we've never, she's only had homemade meals. We started off egg yolks were her first food and you just have to watch your child closely because even healthy foods, they don't always tolerate well because their digestive systems are really sensitive and really immature. And we need to really respect that and, um, observe them and help them through the process. You know, so um, so very early on, my biggest recommendation is to introduce only one food at a time every few days because actually even egg yolks, my daughter didn't do that well with them at first and that might have been because I didn't do that, maybe I didn't do a great job getting all the egg whites out, but she seemed to not do great, like she got like a little bit gassy, so I stopped the egg yolks for a little bit and moved on to the next foods and then came back to it, but we did a lot of broth in the beginning because, you know, babies... Digestion is so sensitive and immature that the you know broth is really healing to the gut, so it's really helping them kind of develop that that nice strong gut. So we did it's a lot really of broth. Per- it's really permeable, right? At that, it is, yeah. So, yeah. So that's why the broth is really helpful. So yeah. So we did a lot of broth, and then um, we did, and then we went on to the liver. And you know, I first started putting liver like in, inside her egg yolk, and she didn't really like that. So then I just started kind of cooking the liver lightly, and um, and then uh, processing it, putting it in the food processor with a little broth. So, so I think with if you do whole foods, you really shouldn't have that many issues with constipation and digestion. And if you and another thing, if and you know, since since all babies. Uh, digestion is going to be different. If your child's really having issues, you could consider some probiotics supplementation. So, um, that that might help. But I think, I mean, I think that's all I would do if she was having issues. I would, I would try probiotics first. Yeah, that's fermented foods as well, or yeah, I mean, because we started doing sauerkraut. You could do like the sauerkraut juice because when they're first starting to eat, you know, a lot of them they don't really have the teeth and stuff for the actual sauerkraut, but I think you, you could just do some of the juice from the sauerkraut that as a probiotic, that would be helpful. Um, one thing I always get asked about from my readers on Facebook and stuff, they always want to know about snacks and, you know, they, they think that, um, for some reason, whenever they have to leave the house or pack a child's lunch, it's like, they go crazy, like they don't know what to do. do you oh, have any tips for that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually okay. That's such a great question. Or so, what's interesting is my daughter, since she eats this way, we're talking about really high fat diet. She is never hungry between meals. I try and offer her a snack, and she never wants it. She'll never eat when she's not hungry. And she, like, she literally she eats three meals a day. And I know people give their kids snacks all day long, but I've tried offering her snacks, and she doesn't want them. And um. So I think if kids are eating a high-fat diet, they're actually desatiated and they could go pretty long between meals. And um, I try not to give her a lot of food out even. Like we try and time, we try to be home for meal times. Like I think that's really important for her to sit down and have her meal and not to be eating on the go. Like I just don't think that's a good habit. And I think kids are adaptable and as adults take advantage of that because we want to go run our errands and we could just like throw a couple snacks in the bag. But, you know, I just, like I'll do that maybe every once in a while if I need to, I have to go to the doctor or something like that, but yeah. uh, something that I can't miss. But, um, so we try, we, we have our meals at home and, um, and I'll like, I'll bring a banana along if we're out, but I'm on the, like, just in case of an emergency, but I've actually never had to give it to her. And she's just not that interested. Like I really, another reason I don't feed her on the go is I want her to be focusing on what she's doing 
at the moment. So if we're go to the park to meet a friend, I want her to be focused on playing, not eating and playing. Yeah. Uh, and, and if we do eat at the park uh, on the rare occasion, like she will eat, she'll sit on the blanket, eat her snack first and then crawl off to go play. So, um, but yeah, so, so I don't do a lot of snacks actually. So I guess I'm not the greatest person to give tips on what kind of snacks to pack for toddlers. So, um, I mean, I do make her like gelatin, like little gelatin, fruit gelatin things. She likes those. Um, oh yeah. But I think the real, the real lesson is just, you, I mean, if you did have to go out, you would pack the same food into containers, right? I mean, oh yeah, wouldn't be, you wouldn't reinvent the wheel. I mean, you would pack, you know, a, chicken leg and some mashed sweet potatoes and a boiled egg or you know it's not oh yeah that, that's a very good point actually because I guess I was, I was thinking of like going out for a couple hours but we've gone on vacation with her for the weekends and that's what I've done I've just packed the meals that I would make at home I just made them in advance and packed them up and then I just have like a little uh it's like a warmer for to warm up baby food and baby bottles so I just like make all her food if we're going to go away for the weekend and then I just heat up the same meals that we do at home like I will you know the only thing my husband will not let me bring liver if we're traveling <laughs> so, <laughs> so other than the, the liver I just you know I'll bring her some like some meat and some vegetables yeah some yams and some butter and some meat and stuff like that so yeah that's actually a great point Caitlin I just do the same foods like we don't do snack foods for her I wrote an article about um, kids and baby, baby snack. I wrote, and I put the picture where the graphic was, um, of the Annie's bunnies. And oh, yeah. you thought, I mean, I had murdered someone like that was travesty for me to mention the Annie's bunnies that were I, like, I was saying they're, they're not real food. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. That was really unpopular. People <laughs> well, I, I wanted to touch also on what you were saying about packing and bringing your own food. Cause I, Got a question also yeah, from a mom who had to go back to work quickly after she went back to work a month after her baby was born, which I think unfortunately is the reality for a lot of working moms. But, you know, her question was just what tips do you have if you are trying to support, help support your family and you don't have a lot of income and you're trying to feed your baby this way? What sort of tips do you have if you're working and, and don't have as much money to spend as you would like? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely tough, and I think the maternity leave standards are really poor in our country, and it's really sad that moms have to go back to work so quick. Um, and I, the way I look at it is, you know, when you're, I mean, I guess you could prioritize your baby. So, you, you know, so like, let's say you do, like, a, you get a piece of grass-fed beef, and then you um, braise it. So braising meat's really helpful. It becomes more digestible, so it's great for babies. So what you could do is... Um, take some bone broth, you know, in, in a lot of these foods that are the healthiest, like liver, even grass fed liver is really inexpensive yeah. um, compared to other cuts of meat. So, and since you're, since the babies don't actually eat that much, you don't need as much of it. So what you could do is for instance, you could get some, um, some grass fed meat, some grass fed stew meat or something, and then braise it like in a crock pot and with some broth and then blend it up and then store it in ice cube trays that could actually last a baby quite a few meals. So I would, you know, just really can do broth. I would just pre-make food and then free. So maybe you just buy the organic, the grass fed for the baby at least until you could afford to buy it for the other members of the family. So you always do that and then yeah, make it in advance and freeze it. So at least the baby's food is ready. And um, since they don't really like one sweet potato will like seriously make a whole ice cube tray. 
which will last a baby a long time, you know? So, so I think even though this food could be, is more expensive, obviously, than conventional uh, non-organic foods, that a baby doesn't eat that much. So I think it's a little easier to prioritize at least the baby's meals. They get, they get full faster too. I mean, if you're, if you're chugging them Cheerios, they're going to eat a lot more probably. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, you know, like you're saying, like their blood sugar levels are going to go up and down. So they're not going to have good regulation when it comes to like their hunger. Like they're going to have sugar crashes on these high carbs. And um, I mean, yeah, and I see kids, I see kids walking around. I guess they make these containers that um, like a kid could hold themselves so the Cheerios don't fall out. So <laughs> I see kids walking on the car with like their things of Cheerios. I'm like, how's that kid going to eat lunch or dinner? They're literally just been eating Cheerios for the last hour. Like they're not going to be hungry for their meals. And so I think we just end up creating this culture of very, um, just continuous snacking and then kids are not hungry for their meals. Yeah. And it it blocks them from absorbing other important minerals and vitamins, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, it impacts their digestion and um, yeah, they don't absorb their nutrients and vitamins. So, so rapid. Um, what, Mary? What is? <clears throat> what's the next one? So yeah, we do have a couple more. Um, well, one more. One woman wants to know: Do you have any um, suggestions for a good organic clothing line or organic baby products? Yeah, we try and buy organic baby, you know, organic baby clothes are really expensive and they grow really fast. So the first thing I would do is you look for used organic stuff. Like if you have um, a consignment store, like used baby store, because when actually before I had her, I bought all kinds of organic stuff for when she was a newborn and she went through them so fast and they were so expensive. So (laughs) next time around, I would do that, try and find more used organic clothing and then also you know, with, with friends, I think it's really great. Friends could, um, kind of pass them down and you can get them back for your next kid. That's what I've been doing with my girlfriends. Um, and then the other thing I do is I actually prioritize her sleeping stuff to be organic because I found that it was getting very expensive to buy her all organic clothes. So her pajamas and her sleep sacks, everything on her bed is all organic and always has been since she was a newborn because they spend so much time sleeping and, you know, and baby um, pajamas, they like to put a lot of flame retardants on. So uh, That's actually a really good idea, baby clothing swap. You could get your other new moms together and do baby clothing swap. Yeah, that's what, that's what we do, we've been doing with my friends with like a lot of things, with clothes, with items, because you don't use this stuff for long and it's expensive and it's wasteful for everybody to be buying it. So, um, But yeah, so for the brands, we really like the Under the Nile brand pajamas and then ugh, the sleep socks. I don't remember the brand, but I found an organic sleep sack brand. Um the Halo Organics, we get like the thinner sleep socks, but for the winter, there's this like thicker sleep socks um, we get from another oh, brand. They actually came out. Yeah, so yeah, a sleep sack is like this thing you. It's like it's pretty much like a comforter thing that you wear. Like that. That so, so babies aren't supposed to have, to have a comforter with them in the crib because you know they could get like tied up in it. So, so it's like this little <laughs> I don't know, like um, a sleeping bag with their arms stick out of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> like a little baby burrito. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, we didn't swaddle, you know, which is like very controversial. People are very into swaddling, but we didn't swaddle. My daughter didn't like it, and we just weren't into it. But so we use the sleeve sacks, which are just like yeah, these like sacks that with their arms stick out of. So, um, 
Um, so all that stuff I made sure was organic because, you know, they're breathing that for, I mean, babies sleep a lot. My daughter still sleeps 12 hours a night. So that's half the day she's in that bed and in those particular clothes. Do you think that, um, just really quickly also on the organic tip, uh, what, tell us about some of the products that you use for washing the baby and stuff like that. Um, I use Primal Life Organics for her. I use their soap bar to wash her hair. And I use water a lot. I don't even like wash her hair. Um, I probably wash her hair like once a week right now. Um, you know, I try not to use a lot of products because I don't really want to um, mess with the natural oils on her head by using shampoos and all that. So I've used Primal Life Organics soap bar for her body and her hair. Um, and that's it. I mean, babies don't. And I use coconut oil for like a lotion for her, like after her bath. And, um, and then I, oh, and then to, for her diaper spray, I use, I also use a baby diaper spray from Primal Life Organics, but you could also make your own. There's, um, I see the recipes on blogs all the time, but, um, yeah, so we, is that for cleaning the, yeah, for like after, (laughs) yeah, oh yeah, yeah, the diaper straights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For when cleaning them for after you change their diaper. So I just use the spray that they make. It's all just essential oils. Rather than a, a wipey. Yeah, or I, I mean, I tend to use water a lot. So if she poops, I'll use the spray. So usually what I do is I use cloth. Um, I use, we use cloth diapers and we use cloth wipes. So before I take her to the changing station, I just get some cloth um, wipes wet, bring those to the station, and then bring her. Um, so I just use cloth wipes. But then, I mean, I'm sorry, I just use water with cloth wipes mostly. But if I need to clean her more thoroughly, then I use the spray from Primal Organics. So... Do you have any advice for pregnant women or for women who are trying to get pregnant or new moms, just kind of some parting words to help them out? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, take your diet really seriously. It makes a huge difference. You know, you'll feel better through your pregnancy. Your baby will be healthier and your baby will be easier to manage. You know, if you if you have a baby that's not crying all the time, it's just it makes your life much easier and um, so I think take your diet really serious through pregnancy and through breastfeeding. Um, and before. And what was that? And before, right? Oh, yeah, and before. Yeah, I think before is so, so crucial. But um, but I think, you know, the, the breastfeeding one, sometimes we don't always take as seriously, which I think is really important to do because, I mean, the, whatever nutrients you put into your body are the nutrients your baby is going to get. So, um yeah, and I think just educate yourself because, you know, our babies are trusting us that to take care of them and to nourish them and, you know, to be able to to make them the happiest and healthiest possible. So I think take the time to read some books. And, you know, what's awesome now is that there's actually so many great books have come out about these types of pregnancies. Like the two I've really liked are the Primal Moms Look Good Naked and um, from Peggy Emch and then the Beautiful Babies book from Kristen um, McCallis from the um, Food Renegade blog. So I thought those two books were helpful. So I say, you know, read some books and um, yeah, so you can just get educated and get educated on baby foods. And, you know, it's hard because it's, you know, different than what conventional wisdom tells you to do and what the people around you are telling you to do. But um, that's why I think it's really helpful to get informed because then you'll know you're making the best decisions. And then you'll tell other people about them. And I think you'll influence them to make better decisions for their babies. Well, let's say somebody doesn't know somebody in their area. What, like, is there any resources they could find some other moms who kind of believe in this kind of stuff? You know, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think just maybe get on. I, yeah, I, I mean, actually, I'm not sure how you would connect with other moms. I know I didn't personally know a lot of other moms that were doing these types of pregnancies. I converted some of my friends into it because as they saw like how well I did and as they see how much Indy thrives and what a happy baby she is. So I, you know, I'm not sure how you would connect with it, but I just say maybe reach out, like reach out on Facebook communities of bloggers and things like that. Just trying to reach out online, you know, wherever you can. And hopefully you could find some people in your community because, oh, actually, no, I know a great one. Um, if I would say get on the Weston A. Price Foundation email list. There's usually a chapter in most communities. And um, I've actually connected with some moms there. Um, they're maybe not paleo, but are definitely real food focused. So I reached out there and asked the moms if they wanted to get together, like real food moms. Um, and I actually met a couple moms that way. So and I was going to say meetup groups too. Maybe there are paleo mom groups or real food nourishing traditions moms groups, something to that effect. It's yeah, or you could start one. You know, there wasn't one. Well, I remember looking and then I wanted to start one and I went back to work. My daughter was four months old, so I got too busy. But I thought about if I'd been home with her longer that I thought about starting one. So if there isn't a group like that, start one because there's probably other moms out there that are either doing it or are interested in doing it. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up our questions today. And this was really great, RZ. Thank you so much for answering our questions and for being a guest. I love this information because, you know, one thing I was thinking is it's when I'm out with my friends and they're asking me for advice and then I send them all this information and they still kind of balk at it because it's not what their doctor has said. It's frustrating, but like you said, hard to kind of rework the paradigm around what to feed babies and so I'm just glad to have this information be available and disseminated in any way possible so that women have access to it. Thank you so much for having me. This is my favorite stuff to talk about so I really enjoyed <laughs> this last hour with you guys. So where can people find you, Rubies and Radishes, and, and where can they find your um, information if you know they want to read anything more about your journey? Um, yeah, so they could go to my blog, Rubies and Radishes. I've written about um, baby stuff on there and I also like to share a lot of baby stuff on Facebook so if they want to follow my Facebook page or on Instagram I haven't been doing it lately so I need to get back to it but I used to post a lot of pictures of Indiana's food um so yeah so Instagram Facebook and my blog would be the best places to connect with me what are you do you have any new projects coming up yeah I do I'm actually working on another cookbook so that's been um, really fun and really busy so I haven't even had a chance to write about it on my blog yet but I was actually just testing a recipe before I got on the phone with you guys maybe a paleo baby cookbook are there paleo baby cookbooks out there um, no the, that one I mentioned super nutrition for babies that has a lot of recipes that are uh, paleo recipes um, but you know pa you know what's interesting is paleo babies tend to eat what their parents are eating you know yeah. first early foods Indiana just she eats curries and she eats all she just eats whatever we're eating now that she's older so you know when she was a new when she was new to eating we were giving her simpler foods but now that she could tolerate more foods so Sounds great. Um, we'll get excited about, we'll make sure and check out RC's blog, Rubies and Radishes. And, you know, she's always around if you want to follow her Facebook page and you can always put comments on there. And um, you can get her first book, The Paleo Slow Cooker, on Amazon, and it's beautiful. And, you know, get excited about our upcoming guests. We have 
like next week or the week after the paleo mom is going to talk about autoimmune disease and how to do paleo with an autoimmune disease and we're going to have Neely from the paleo plan she's a holistic nutritional therapist talking about how to have carbs and she knows all about athletes and when to have carbs and you know how to know when's when's the right amount and how much and all that so that sounds really great do you have anything else you want to say mary no that's it so thanks for everyone um listening and thanks arzy for being our guest yes really appreciate you coming on rc thanks so much all right thanks for having me bye guys bye